ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂಗ್ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸ ನಮಾಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಾಂದೇವಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೇತೃಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ರೀಯತಿಜಾ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವಾಯ ಸ್ವಾಮಿಪಹಾರಿಣೆ ಸೊ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ವಿತ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗ ನೇಮ್ಲಿ ದ ಐಡಿಯಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಯೋಗ ಇನ್ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ವಿತ್ ದ ಐಡಿಯಾ ವಿ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಆಲ್ ರೀಚ್ ದ ಸೇಮ್ ಗೋಲ್ ಬೈ ದ ವೇರಿಯಸ್ ಯೋಗಸ್ ದ ಕರ್ಮ ಭಕ್ತಿ ಧ್ಯಾನ ರಾಜಯೋಗ ಧ್ಯಾನ ಯೋಗ ಆಲ್ ದ this various yogas lead to the same goal so in our spiritual journey the more we can synthesize them the more we can integrate them our spiritual journey gets accelerated and then we saw that swami vivekananda brought the idea of freedom that from a single atom to the highest evolute the human being we or everywhere we find that it is the sense of freedom which is constantly motivating us to do what else we are doing whatever things we are doing we are being motivated with a sense of freedom a saint meditates to gain that sense of freedom to gain that freedom a thief steals with the same idea of freedom that what is the idea of freedom there that the thief feels that there are various resources which he wants but his poverty is not allowing to enjoy those resources so that's the idea that i am not having the freedom which i want to have those lack of resources and for that he resorts to stealing but it is the same sense of freedom if that be so then swami vivekananda enunciated the idea that then what is good and what is bad immediately he was mentioning that yes that yes it is the same sense of freedom which makes the sage to meditate and the thief to steal but we find that the thief by stealing actually gets entangled in more and more bondage so though his urge for freedom that is true but the path which we has taken the 
path which he has chosen to achieve that freedom was something in which he was deluded. But as for the urge of freedom is concerned, it is the same as that of a saint. One has taken the correct path and which leads to emancipation. The other has taken a path which will lead to more and more bondage. So after that, Swamiji will be giving the idea that the Karma Yoga is therefore a system of ethics and religion intended to attempt freedom through unselfishness. So if freedom is the aim, so that what is the path through which that freedom has to be uh, endeavored for? It's the only path which we can through which we can really get the freedom is unselfishness. So now let us, with that idea, Swamiji just started the discussion. So now we will resort to the portions of the text and continue with the remaining part of this lecture. Karma Yoga, therefore, is a system of ethics and religion intended to attain freedom through unselfishness and by good works. The Karma Yogi need not believe in any doctrine, whatever. He may not believe even in God. May not ask what his soul is, nor think of any metaphysical speculation. He has got his own special aim of realizing selflessness, and he has to work it out himself. Every moment of his life must be realization because he has to solve by mere work without the help of doctrine or theory. The very same problem to which the jnani applies his reason and inspiration and the bhakta his love. So we find that Swamiji is now going to the main idea of Karma Yoga, that we have to attain the freedom through unselfishness. So he may not believe in God. He may not believe in any of the metaphysical speculations as Swamiji is indicating. Just with the idea of this unselfish action, he can reach that freedom. Now, Nowadays in psychology, in sociology, everywhere, we find the idea that all reformation should be from bottom to top, not from top to bottom. What it means that in our society, if we find there are certain Ill, evil practices, ill practices, which have started pervading the society, polluting the society, Yes, immediately we, what we think of, the government should take necessary measures. It should implement laws. It should enforce the forces. It should enforce police force or the administrative pressure so that the society starts behaving in a way which is not detrimental to its well-being. So that's what we generally think. But what we find that yes, it may be a temporary measure, it may be a slipshod remedy, but in the long run, it can never solve any problems. We find that problems get more complicated if we try to impose law and order from the top. And what's the way 
The real way is somehow to grow the awareness among the people that what you are resorting to is in no way going to help you or the society. Just take that even a few decades earlier, the smoking that's a, or the taking drugs, which is even now at present, it is one of the main, main social uh, evil, we can say, that the drug addiction. We find few decades earlier, the governments took very severe action. They banned the sale of drugs in the open market. This, the drug was totally banned. It was a, a criminal act. Even now we find that it is a criminal act in many countries. It may lead to even death sentence. But could we stop this, the, uh, this ad drug addiction? You will find the more the stricter the law is, the more the mafias are there, the more the smuggling is there. Yes, now and then they get caught. Now and then there is some, uh, what you say, we find the death sentence has been imposed, but it doesn't stop. We find that the all the smuggling, the uh, illicit trade of the drugs is going on. So when we try to just take measures from top to bottom. The administration is there to take measures. You can never really achieve your goal. And what's the way out? The way out is to take the measures from bottom to top. What's that? To grow awareness among the people. Go to the schools, to the colleges. Now and then conduct some awareness camps and just let the students know that what the drug is going to uh, how it is going to damage our life, the more the common mass becomes aware of it. What happens then? They won't resort to the drug addiction. If the common mass doesn't resort to the drug addiction, the entire so-called, the illicit trade of the drug will fall by itself. If no one buys, there is no question of the trade to go on. And that's the only way. That's why Sri Ramakrishna, we find that on the day of the Kalpatar, he never told that you have you be rich or you have you have a good job, nothing that. What he told was very interesting. Tomadir let you be illumined. So that's the the more we grow awareness, the more we are illumined, the more the problem is solved in life. So here also Swamiji is saying that freedom through unselfishness. You neither believe in God, you nor believe in any metaphysical speculation. It's a wonderful idea which Swamiji is speaking, that in religion, like our social reformation in religion, we find the general trend is from top to bottom. What is that? Just first we are asked to believe in God. The thing which we cannot realize, we haven't seen, we are yet to realize whether God is or not. It's just a mere matter of belief for the most of us. So there also we find is an imposition. The thing which I don't realize, it is being first imposed. That there God is and there are his commandments, which if we follow, we will go to heaven. If we are not going, if we are not following, again, we will go to hell. Again, this heaven, hell, we don't know. This is something which we are going to uh, experience after this life, after death. So all these are, after all, in the field of belief. 
So it becomes very difficult to really motivate the people in doing something by this type of belief system, this type of philosophy from top to bottom, especially in the modern age where we give so much importance to rationality, to common sense. So just to say that there is God, immediately they all will question, where is God? So what Swamiji is saying is very interesting. It speaks of the same reformation, the reformation from bottom to top. Freedom through unselfishness. You don't believe in God. You do not ask what his soul is or do not believe in many metaphysical speculation. There's no need. Just work where you can attain freedom through unselfishness. You may say how it is bottom to top. As in the last class, in the various previous classes, we were indicating that in our life, we will find that when we are bound to do something where which speaks of unselfishness, you are bound to serve others. As in the last class, we were giving the, that example. In our school, we find that when we say that the students have to distribute the food during the celebration. At the beginning, there's a tremendous apathy. No one wants to do that. And when it is somehow enforced and they find they have to do it, once they start serving the food to all the public who has came for that celebration, they start enjoying it. They find that they, an ineffable bliss out of it. And now when we go to stop them, just say that the, now the volunteers will take, they will start their work, you please leave. They're not willing to stop. They want to continue. So what is this? The moment somehow you are bound to do an unselfish act, know it for certain, you get immediate, this is what you say, there's cash down payment, immediate payment that a sense of bliss ensues from your heart. In, your life we have, in our life, we have experienced that when we have to give something that entails in joy, all the suffering comes when we cannot. As I was indicating that in our, as in Belurmat, we uh, go for various relief work before our welfare activities. When someone asks for help and we ask why, no one says that I am hungry. No one says I uh, am in need of some medical treatment. In majority of the cases, 99% of the cases, the moment you ask why, they will say, I cannot feed my child. I cannot take care of my grandchild. The ch child's father has passed away. It is me who has to take care of my grandchild. I don't have the means. It is when you cannot give you feel that suffering. In giving, there is a tremendous joy. And that is something which we cannot deny. It is there. The moment you give someone, you're unselfish, immediately a type of bliss ensues. And that's what Swami is speaking. That you need not believe in God. Just do an unselfish act. And the bliss, that ineffable bliss which you enjoy, that will now motivate you to resort to that type of action. And the more that the ineffable joy comes of our unselfishness, the only cause of bondage is the sense of I. The only sin is I. 
the core of sin is I, S-I-N, that in the last class also we were indicating, I is between S and M. Literally, I is the core of sin. Spiritually, I is the core of sin. The sense of this individuality, limited individuality, that's selfishness. That's the reason behind all our uh, acts which results in the personal deterioration as well as the social disintegration. Any act which emanates from selfishness. The moment you are unselfish, you are resort, you are just relating to the non-local self, which is your real identity. And the ineffable bliss is bound to come out of it. And you realize it. And just what you realize, resort to that. Nothing else. You need not believe in God. And here Swamiji is making a tremendous assertion that the jnani applies reason, bhakta, his love, and the karma yogi has to do nothing. Just work with a sense of not getting anything in return. I give out of my empathy with a sense of unselfishness. So now comes the next question. This, what is this work? That's the Swamiji is going to ask now. What is this doing good to the world? Can we really do good to the world? So this is a big question. So now Swamiji is asking that if we go out with a sense that I have to do good to the world, there are two things. When I am doing an unselfish act, it gives an ineffable joy that I realize. But immediately I will rationalize, I do it to help others. Of course, that unselfish act is to help others. Why? For this, this helping others has two dimensions. That what? Most probably he is suffering. So I want to give him happiness. Otherwise, there is some sort of exploitation. In this society, there are a lot of inequalities. So I am serving others so that we can just make the society as more and more equal. Let's all enjoy the same privileges, same facilities, so that we, we can just a resort to action with a sense of increasing happiness in the world or bringing equality with a sense of the next idea can be the idea of equality. Swamiji says, the moment from your inner bliss, it goes to some external reasons, know it for certain, you are again deluded. So now that Swamiji will go to that portion. It's not for the idea of bringing happiness to the world or equality to the world. For among all, if you start working with that aim, know it for certain, you will be frustrated. Not only frustrated, you are bound to become fanatic. That's the thing Swamiji will now bring home in his discussion. So let us go to the resort to the text and then slowly we will come to the discussion. In an absolute sense, no. What is no that I cannot do good to the world in an absolute sense. In a relative sense, yes. No permanent or everlasting good can be done to the world. If it could be done, the world would not be this world. Now, what Swamiji is saying, let us take up the idea of happiness. That for ages, our aim was to make the world more happy. That Swamiji will discuss. Take the history of the human race. 
as we know it today do we not find the same miseries and the same happiness the same pleasures and pains the same differences in position all this was just the same with the egyptians the greeks and the romans in ancient times as it is with the americans today with all our effort can we really annihilate suffering in this world swami ji in some other lecture gave the example of rheumatic patient a rheumatic patient when has a pain in the knees and we find that massaging do give us a relief but after some time we will find that the pain has actually shifted most probably it has gone to the ankle though it has been relieved from the knees it has gone to the ankle so the pain just shifts it as such is not cured so it all our problems we will find in this world when there is a suffering it's only uh the nature of the suffering changes with all our attempt to remove it but the suffering removes as it is every period of history has given birth to thousands of men and women who have worked hard to smooth the passage of life for others and how far they have succeeded we can only play at driving the ball from one place to another we take away pain from the physical plane and it goes to the mental one so in the present world also we see the with the more affluence in the physical world more and more we find this problem this all our issues are in the mental level there so much this mental issues have increased in the society at the cost of all our physical affluence you cannot get rid of it swami ji in another ex- uh, lecture is giving the example that in india uh, the condition of the widows was very miserable in the in uh, olden days in the time of swami ji and in the west it was a huge matter of discussion and swami ji saying was uh, swami ji indicated yes you speak of our widows but what about the maidens here who cannot get who do not get married throughout the life in search of husband they don't get married yes in the west even in the present we find that this this there is there is a big crisis the population is dwindling there is no marriage no one wants to have children this they are just the all the laws were made so that there is no exploitation in family there is no as such uh, uh in within the family there is no violence no one is subjected to any sort of abuse the laws are made what actually has helped does it has it reduced all those uh, uh family violence and abuse it is as it is but people have more and more resorted not to marry staying single just living as partner so what we are saying that whatever measure you may take it changes the problems as nature of the evils just changes the suffering just changes it is not in any way problem is solved so that way however you may try you will find this world is like the dog's curly tail 
You can never straighten it. You try to remove the problem in one way, it finds expression in another way. Every time that Swamiji is then saying that we can only play at driving the ball from one place to another. We take away pain from the physical plane and it goes to the mental one. It is like that picture in Dante's hell where the misers were given a mass of gold to roll up a hill. Every time they rolled it up a little, it again rolled down. So you are in the same place. As nowadays it is being, uh, in psychology they say that all our pursuits for pleasure is just like a hedonistic treadmill. Hedonistic treadmill. Hedonistic means hellish. In a treadmill, what we do? We run. But do we go to any place? No, the same place. When you are running, the treadmill is, treadmill is moving in the opposite direction, making you run in the same place. The world is that hedonistic treadmill. All our attempt, at last we find, doesn't lead us to the goal which we are striving for. All the objective goals, the external goal, is, can never be achieved. So if I start with that aim, that to bring happiness to the world, that Swamiji used to say that all the ideas of millennium, that a time will come, those all the believers will be, in, will be leading a very prosperous life. The non-believers, they are going to hell. So this idea of millennium we find is continuing. But is it really the fact that those who are the believers, they are happy and the non-believers are in hell? We find the so-called believers sometimes believe in such a fanatic way that it is they who are in hell. In no way it solves the problem. It makes us more fanatic. It in no way, the, when we just try to have the goal outside, at last we are going to end up in fanaticism. Why? We th start thinking that I thought to bring happiness to the world and for that I resorted to certain means. There are so many people who don't believe that to be the means. And they become the detrimental factor. They become the decelerating factor in my attempt to bring happiness to the world. And I find enemies all around. And that's what at last fanaticism leads to. And instead of uh, peace, we find more uh, violence, more uh, hatred, enmity in the world. So the so-called happiness, if I say that this happiness is the goal to bring happiness to the world is a goal, know it for certain, it is going to lead us to frustration. Then Swamiji is coming to the idea of equality. The next idea we take up is the idea of equality, absolute equality, that which means a perfect balance of all the struggling forces in all the plans can never be in this world. What makes the difference between man and man? It is largely the difference in the brain. We come into the world with unequal endowments. We come as greater men and as lesser men. And there is no getting away from that prenatally determined condition. The American Indians 
were in this country for thousands of years and a few handfuls of your ancestors came to their land, what difference they have caused in the appearance of the country? What, why did not the Indians make improvements and build cities if all were equal? With your ancestors, a different sort of brain power came into the land, different bundles of past impressions came and they worked out and manifested themselves. So here Swamiji is speaking of the sanskaras. That what we see in the physical plane at present is not the be all and end all of our existence. Each and every one of us individually or as a society have a, have a past. And that has become our sanskara, the tendencies. Those tendencies determine the course of action which we are going to take at present. So in our attempt to make the society equal, we forget that we are not all of same capabilities. However we may try, it is not possible. So Swamiji here has just spoken of that this difference is something which is going to be. Hearing this, many may just even oppose Swamiji that you are taking that, uh, this, this difference to be something which is absolute. And as if you are in no way believer in equality. But we will find in some other lecture, Swamiji told us something wonderful thing, that equality which we speak of is never possible as we are having different endowments. It's a fact. The problem is not that we cannot be equal. The problem is the exploitation. Yes, because of my inherent tendencies, I may be more intelligent than you. But that doesn't presuppose that being intelligent, I have the right to exploit you. The think tank doesn't have the right to exploit the general mass. As per my sanskaras, I may be more wealthy. I have the tendency, I can do a good business, I can be more wealthy. But that doesn't entail that I have the right to exploit the weak, they exploit the poor. In the present world, in a search for equality, we will find that is never possible. So rich, poor, all these distinctions will be there. But what we are supposed to take care of is exploitation. That we will find that the society's structure is such, the rich do get the chance to exploit the one who is poor. In any society, you will find the rich is becoming more rich, the poor is become more poor, the society is becoming more and more marginalized. So this is because of the exploitation. That has to go. But as such, there cannot be equality. The distinctions has to be there. We are of different temperaments. That's why even in Bhagavad Gita, so Krishna in the 18th chapter has mentioned that. That as per our Swabhava, the distinctions are bound to be there. Some will be by nature, Brahmins, the think tank of the society. Some will be the Kshatriyas who will be uh, looking after the social administration, the society's administration, the security, the army, the uh, uh, ensuring the security of the borders. That's a particular class of people is there as per the Swabhava. 
Some will be resorting to the business, to the finance, uh, financial uh, upliftment of the society, the Vaishyas, the Shudras, those who keep the society clean, those who do various uh, works, the service jobs. So they all are the Shudras. So this distinction as per the Swabhava will be there. But what has to be taken care of, that there shouldn't be any exploitation. In the name of, you will find that what Swamiji is indicating is very interesting. What's, when Swamiji was speaking at that time, uh, the communism didn't came into picture. There were no communist countries. After that, the communism came. And one by one, we find that in the so-called all the, in the name of communism, what has happened? You all will agree what has happened. Only the roles have changed. There was no equality. That in the entire idea of communism to bring equality, that there shouldn't be any rich, there shouldn't be anyone poor, all should have equal access to the wealth. And at last, what has happened? It has never happened. We find at last the dictators are there with amazing, that they have amassed uh, huge wealth. They are the billionaires. And not only that, in the name of equality, what has happened? Actually, it is only the change of the roles. A very nice example is given that previously the landlord was sitting on the horseback and he was whipping his servant. And now after the so-called movement, what has happened? It is not equality. It's not that all are equal. The so-called, the servant is now on the horseback. The landlord is on the ground and the whipping, there is the, the whip is in the hand of the servant. It is he, the servant, who is whipping the landlord. Only the roles have changed. But the same, uh, the difference still remains. With all our attempt to get rid of all the social inequalities from the top to bottom measure, that we take, so we impose some laws, restrictions by which uh, all those uh, inequalities should be removed. You can never attend that. So that's the thing Swamiji is saying that with the idea that uh, equality of happiness, we can never at such, at, at this really attain the goal. The world remains as it is. Only the problems shifts. And then the Swamiji is going to the real picture of the world. What he's saying, this world's will within will is a terrible mechanism. Will within will. What he is speaking is very interesting. Is what is this will within will? It is a cycle of avidya kama karma. That in our search for happiness, we are doing so many things. Do we really get happiness? Actually, we are going round and round in a will. One will leads to another will. Will within will. What it speaks are very interesting. Shankaracharya have indicated as the avidya kama karma chakra, the will of avidya kama karma. What it means? That I am the sat chit anandaswarup. I am already the bliss. My nature is bliss. But because of avidya, because of ignorance, I think that to I, that, that to get bliss, I have to resort to something. I have to get something 
which is not me, which is there outside in the world. If I get it, then only I get bliss. This is the ignorance from which the desires arise, which leads to karma. And this binds us in within the cycle, will within the will. Uh, we have explained this uh, many times, but as the context came here to relate that type examples with this context, you will find that uh, the meaning becomes more clear. That what resorts us to action? It's a sense of happiness. Just let us give an example. A, that a small child is not studying, is getting distracted. Now the father keeps an, a condition. If in the next example, exam, if you get good grades, and he just uh, fixes that you have to get very good grades. It should be something A plus or something. If you get good grades, as you are pestering me for something, say uh, that the latest uh, version of the laptop, he has a laptop, the school has provided, but he wants his own personal laptop, the latest version, uh, the Apple laptop or whatever it may be. And the child wants it. His, the father says that if you get good grades, I'm going to give you. And now we find that the child's distractions have stopped. He's giving more importance to his studies. Swamiji used, uh, gave a very nice example that our mind is like a lake and each and every thought and desires are like the waves on it. When the waves are there, I cannot see the bottom of the lake. But when the waves are not there, I can see the bottom of the lake. Swamiji is saying that behind the mind is yourself, your real nature, which is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. That Ananda, that bliss factor gets obscured when the waves are there. Just the way when the waves are there, I cannot see the bottom of the lake. Similarly, here also, when the mind is in turmoil, in agitation, I cannot see the bottom, the bliss has vanished. I want this, I want that. And then the when one intense desire comes, the other desires are shadowed, one huge wave as if it's away, engulfs all other wave. And there's a huge wave in your mind. So for this child is a huge wave, I want the laptop. So all the other distractions have stopped. He's studying. And as he's more focused, he gets good grades and the father, as per the condition, gives him, uh, buys a laptop for him. The moment the child gets it, he's ecstatic. He finds terrible happiness. He thinks the laptop has given him the joy. But what actually has happened, in the mind, the distracted mind had, had various waves. All those waves were engulfed, were eaten up by a huge wave that I want the laptop. The moment it got it, the child got it, for the time being, a let go and shoot. There was no wave in the mind. The lake was calm. There was no turmoil. The bottom of the lake now became visible. The bliss started percolating through your body, mind, senses. It was there within. It never came from the laptop. It was within. The laptop only, the moment you get it, it actually has calmed down the mind. All the agitations has gone. And the bliss comes from within. All our happiness is that way. And after some time we forget. 
the thing which we get, we get, which we are aspiring for, we get habituated. Now again, we desire. That's what is going on throughout our life. And now we will understand this avidya kama karma. What's that? That the ignorance, that the bliss is something outside. I have to get it. This ignorance results in desire, karma. And that results in action. And this is the cycle which goes on. Again, once I get something, I get the happiness. Again, a new desire comes. Again, it leads me to that same cycle of avidya kama karma. And this cycle, this will within the will goes on. Not only in this life. This is the only cause of the sansara chakra. Life after life, we are going because of this will within the will. It's a terrible mechanism. The moment you put your hands in it, you're gone. That's what somebody is saying. If we put our hands in it, as soon as we are caught, we are gone. Now as if there is no escape. We all think that when we have done a certain duty, we shall be at rest. But before we have done a part of the duty, another is already in waiting. One is over, the joy which ensues from it, that has flattened again a new, a new duty. So that's what Swamiji is saying, the will within will. It's that Swami Vivekananda in another lecture gives the example of the bullock, which is meant to grind the uh, oil seeds to get oil. In the olden days in the village, the oil, uh, we used to grind the oil seeds to get the oil by making one stone revolve over the other. And between the two stones, all the oil seeds were kept in the process of the motion of one stone over the other, the oil seeds used to get crushed and the oil is to come out. Now how to make the stone, the stone which is on the top of the other stone to move. So they used to engage the ox or the bullock. Now how to make the bullock move? They used to, add, they used to fix some stick on the head of the bullock, some bamboo stick, and on the front of the stick, they will hang some straws. Seeing the straw, the bullock will move on, move on, move on. And the stone goes on revolving. And the oil gets pressed. You get the oil out of the seeds. That's what Mother Nature is doing. That's what Swamiji is saying. The straw is hanging. All those objects of desire, name, fame, wealth, pleasure, all those things are hanging. In our search for that, like the bullock, we are moving on and on, on and on. And the nature's oil is getting pressed. The nature, the, the only one who is being benefited by it is the nature. It wants to sustain itself. And that's how it is sustaining, by making us to move round and round this samsara chakra. And that's what Swamiji is saying. So we are all being dragged along by this mighty, complex world machine. So this is the machine. There are only two ways out of it. One is to give up all concerns with the, uh, with the machine, to let it go and stand aside, to give up our desires. This is very easy to say, but is almost impossible to do. The other way is to plunge into the world and learn the secret of work. And that is the way of Karma Yoga. 
do not fly away from the wheels of the world machine, but stand inside it and learn the secret of work. Through proper work done inside, it is also possible to come out. Through this machinery itself is the way out. So what is that? What is that by which we can come out of it? That immediately to say that I won't desire anything, we know it is almost impossible. However we may try, it has become our sanskaras. It is deeply ingrained in us. We are all addicted like a drug addict. A drug addict sometimes knows very well, intellectually knows very well that this addiction is harming him or her. But at the same time, he cannot get rid of the addiction because it has become a deep samskara. It has become a deep uh, impression on his mind and that forces him to do the thing. So just the first way which Swamiji told, give up all the desire. It's easy to say. We can easily say that, but is it really possible? Just try for one day, we will find how difficult it is to get rid of even a single desire. So that's this easy to say, but it's almost impossible. So what's the way out is karma yoga. What's the karma yoga? That yes, it is a desire which imp impels me to work. I cannot stop. So let me work, but gradually try to take away the desire factor that I will work without any attachment. The more and more you are trying, it is just like a drug addict when he is in the rehabilitation center. It's not that the very first day they will stop giving the drugs. What they will do? That they will find out how much drug the addict is taking. And they will go on reducing the dose slowly. It's, otherwise, they say that he is going to have the withdrawal syndromes. If you suddenly remove the symptoms that we will find that that person is having is more severe. It may even kill that person suddenly if it is withdrawn. It is almost taking away your the lifeline. He has got so addicted to it. So gradually it has to be taken out. Slowly, little by little. So here also the same thing Swamiji is saying. But if you say that I stop all your actions, stop the desire, you are bound to have the withdrawal syndrome here also. Because the tremendous uh, liking for it is there. I cannot simply withdraw. So better you resort to the action, slowly the desire factor. Yes, here also that as you are reducing the dose slowly, here also the slowly, gradually, that okay, let me try to get rid of that intense ambition. Let me do the same work in, in this world. Very interesting. All our actions are called vrittis. What vritti means? The Sanskrit word vritti means that which sustains us. The doctor is doing a great health to the world. He's treating the patient. But can you deny at last with that service he's not sustaining himself? He's sustaining himself. So this, the two aspects always run hand in hand. That though the doctor is 
serving the world, but at the same time, he's sustaining by himself by his profession. An engineer, any profession, there's a word of the meaning of the word vritti is that, that by which we sustain ourselves. Very interesting. Even the thoughts are called vrittis. The th- thoughts, why the thoughts are called vrittis? Because if the thoughts are not there in the mind, there's nothing called mind. The mind will immediately collapse. So the mind is sustained by the thoughts. So that's why these thought waves are called vrittis, by which a thing is sustained. Chitta vritti. The chitta can sustain itself by those thoughts. Similarly, here also all the profession has these two aspects. One, of course, you are helping others. But also it is sustaining you. Now all uh, the evils of the society comes when sustaining me becomes more important than the service which I'm providing to the society. So all the problem starts there. And then all the corruption, all uh, evil practices come when my benefit becomes more. The thing for which I'm doing, I'm not taking care of. So karma yoga is actually speaking that is the contrary. But let the action go, flow off as it is flowing. Don't try to stop. Take care whether it is just for your own interest or for the interest of both the factors are related. To give a wonderful example, when Swami Vivekananda returned from the West, he was accompanied by Goodwin, a Western disciple, Goodwin. Uh, We owe a lot to Goodwin. He was like Ganesh. As Ganesh Vyasa, when he was dictating the Bhagavatam, it was uh, Ganesha who was the stenographer. He took the, or the, he was writing. So here also we find Swami Vivekananda's lectures were all extempore. In his highly inspired state, he used to speak whatever is to come in his mind. And when the devotees found that all these ideas will be lost, they appointed a stenographer. Goodwin came to Swamiji as a stenographer and for which he was paid by the devotees. In the process of taking the notes, those ideas are wonderful. He came with a profession that just to take the notes, but he started getting uh, inspired by those ideas. And he became a disciple, an ardent disciple of Swamiji. He came with Swamiji to India and he used to do personal service to him. But very quickly, the others discovered that still he's getting some remuneration from Swamiji. And there was a gossip. Oh, after all, he's not a devotee. He is paid for what he's doing. When Goodwin heard it, he told a wonderful thing. His comment was something, he remarked something which is very significant. He told, yes, I do get some remuneration from Swami Vivekananda. I came along with him. I'm not a married person, but I am having my old mother back in England, in UK. And to sustain her, I need some, of course, some money. And Swamiji is considerate enough to provide me that little remuneration which I sent to my mother. I do get remunerated from Swamiji. But the next sentence is interesting. But let no one think that it is because for that remuneration I serve Swamiji. I love him from the bottom of my heart. I have dedicated my life for him. I 
really consider him to be my guru. My service is a down is an outpour of my heart. Yes, to sustain, I get do get some salary, but let no one equate that with this. So this is the secret of work. In this world machine, the same work can go on. But what's the value which I have in this world? Others are not going to respect you if you yourself cannot respect yourself. If I look back in my own life and then find I'm just a mercenary, I'm just a shopkeeper, I always calculate, I always calculate what I am giving and what I'm getting back. And my work accordingly is amputed, is very nicely it is uh, planned that I should be very much cautious. I shouldn't give more than I get. It's just a shopkeeper. We become a shopkeeper in our love. We become a shopkeeper in our work. Everywhere we become a shopkeeper. The moment we feel that, okay, for my sustenance, of course, I need some money. But what a big opportunity I have got to serve others. There are so many who are more capable than me. Most probably they could have done this job in a better way. But somehow my destiny has favored me by enabling me to be in this position. And it has enabled me to serve with whatever possible it may be. The same, same work, now the total attitude change. So karma yoga is actually total attitudinal correction. It doesn't speak of any special type of work, any work which we're doing. If you change the attitude, the same thing will be gradually reducing your desire factor and it will be leading you to the emancipation, more and more unselfishness. So this is the science of Karma Yoga, which Swamiji is indicating through his lectures, that in Bhagavad Gita we find Krishna is indicating that Yoga Karmasu Kaushalam. The same action which is done with dexterity, Sukaushalam. This then it becomes yoga. Instead of binding you, it will emancipate you. Instead of taking you spirally downwards, it will take you spirally outwards from this mesh of worldliness. So that's the idea Swamiji is bringing, uh, to, bringing to home gradually through his lecture. All ideas of making the world perfectly happy may be good as motive powers for fanatics. Who are fanatics? That Swamiji is saying the fanatics. Who are fanatics? Those who believe that the rheumatism can be cured. Those who believe that we can change the world. It's a fanaticism. It can never be. So it may be a good motive power, but I will change. With that, you can start your world. But, but what will happen? But we must know that fanaticism brings forth as much evil as good. That if with the idea that I will cure rheumatism, you resort to massaging, the pain will just shift. Evils will find expression in a different way, but it remains. So you will find you are frustrated with all your attempt to just revolutionize the world. You find at last you are frustrated. So it may be a good motive power to start with, but at last you will find that that. The world remains as it is. Fanatism brings forth as much evil as good. The karma yogi asks, 
why you require any motive to work other than the inborn love of freedom. Karma as a struggle for freedom starts with the fight. Now this freedom, what is freedom? Somebody says nothing else is required. Just with this idea of this love for freedom. You may say uh, that what's the idea of freedom? It may uh, be different for different persons. Yes, whatever idea of freedom you have with that you start. That as a student, the idea of freedom is, oh, uh, there are so many rich people in this society. What, how nicely they're enjoying the love, life. How they have reached oh, through education. Education has taken them to get such and certain jobs and for, or maybe have given them that knowledge by which they can run some business and they have flourished. So I have so much restrictions. I want this, I want that, I cannot buy. So my freedom is restricted because of lack of money. Yes, start with that. Swamiji, when he's saying that, that is do with that sense, when you go to that state, then again, you will find your sense of freedom is shifting. You find with all your wealth, all those people whom you thought that must be enjoying love, life by all those wealth and position in life. When you reach there, you find that still the sense of, sense of inadequacy is there in you. You have reached a plateau. All the small goals which you thought will bring happiness, you have already reached that. You have reached those goals. They were small enough. You have reached. And then your sense of freedom will evolve. So it's not that the sense of, that's a, the, when you have to, when Swamiji is saying that you work with that sense of freedom, that doesn't mean that sense of freedom is spiritual emancipation at the very beginning. It may be a very worldly sense of freedom. Still, it is good because it will gradually just take you to the higher and higher concepts of freedom, ultimately rendering you free. But the entire search for freedom, you will find the entire process of evolution actually explains that our search for freedom. Just take a small micro. The science will say you that we have evolved from that microbe. Why the microbe evolved? A small microbe finds a little increase in temperature. Just in the winter, yesterday we were trying to uh, make some yogurt. We all make sometime at home yogurt. In summer, you find easily the yogurt is prepared. In winter, you find it's so difficult. You have to keep it a bit warm. What it speaks of? In the summer, the temperature is not affecting you. You can still sustain, you can live in that temperature. In the winter, the cold temperature, you can live, but the bacteria cannot. It has a very most narrow margin of the stimuli within which it can sustain itself. So it finds it has no freedom. It wants to live, but the nature is imposing limitations. You can exist only within this temperature only within this atmospheric pressure, only within this pH level. You know, the snake with all the poison is in winter is hibernates. It cannot come out, it's a cold-blooded animal. You pour a little, you just pour a little soap water, it will die. Its skin is so susceptible. So these are the limitations of nature from which I want freedom. The entire evolution is because of that. Why? Avidya. 
the ignorance that I, who actually am that pure amnes non-local, got localized in that micro body. Now I start thinking I am this. Someone behind me is saying you're eternal. That is being echoed in that micro body, and the micro body thinks is as a micro I'm eternal. It can never be realized. To realize that echo that I am eternal, it is in search of freedom. I have to evolve. What it does, few more, it just cooperates. There was no struggle, there was no fight in the process of evolution. It was cooperation that microbes started cooperating with others. They formed a colony, they started staying together. They conglomerized and there was a division of labor. You do the respiration part, I do the circulation part, I do digestion, that's what our body is. And more and more we are equipping ourselves and getting evolved. What's that? To enjoy more freedom, nothing else. That nature is imposing so many limitations. I want freedom. At last, this sense of freedom has to change. As a human being, we are capable to realize that actually I'm deluded. I'm already free. The one who is free, who is echoing through the body-mind and giving me a sense that this body-mind is free, which I cannot realize. It can never be, however I may try. I may just go on re reducing the limitations, but limitations will be there. I cannot uh, realize the perfect within the, this, uh, within the material plane, which is imperfect. At last, that sense dawns, the sense of freedom. What? That I'm already free. The moment I leave this and I get established in my real nature, I'm already free. So the sense of freedom starts with the process of evolution to take you back again from where you started. You start from ignorance and you end up in wisdom. The same sense of freedom is taking you. So that's why Swamiji is saying the karma yogi asks why you require any motive to work and whatever motive it may be, with that you start. Know it for certain, this motive, the sense of freedom will change and at last it will take you to that. That's a real freedom and motive to other than the inborn love for freedom. Start work with that. Be beyond the common worldly motives. The work you have the right, but not to the fruits thereof. Man can train himself to know and to practice that, says the Karma Yogi. So that's what Swamiji is entering into. The subject of Karma Yoga in various from the various perspectives, actually, he's taking this subject. It's a wide, it's it's a very very um, it's a broad subject. Uh, we will will take most probably another one class, or maybe another uh, two class to finish it off. But just see if you just uh, have seen the Karma Yoga. It's a small booklet. For the one, last one year, we are studying. There are so many layers of understanding in these lectures, and the more we can reflect on it, we will find the vastness of the idea with which on the background of Swamiji's mind, with which he is actually delivering this lecture. Sometimes these lectures prove to be very baffling. We don't understand what actually Swamiji is saying. So that's why the reflection is very much necessary. The more you reflect, the more the ideas come out of it. And you really marvel at this wonderful, the, the mind of Swami Vivekananda with which he is uh, presenting these wonderful talks. So we will 
a little portion of the lecture is remaining. Hopefully, in the next class, we will cover that portion to conclude our discussion on Swami Vivekananda's Kamayoga. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.